This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. There's a few things I want to talk about with you today. And one is, I think, a rather difficult teaching. It's really the teaching of the Lotus Sutra. Difficult and wonderful, both. Um, so I'll find my way to that teaching uh, with some examples and koans, koan, a koan, and yeah, some stories. I wanted to start this morning by noting, by mentioning, by commemorating that yesterday, February 19th, was the 80th uh, year, the anniversary of Executive Order 9066 that Roosevelt signed 1942, which authorized the surveillance, displacement, and incarceration of over 120,000 Japanese uh, people living in the United States. And uh, two thirds of those people were American city citizens who one would expect would be protected by the laws of the land and the constitution, et cetera. Yes, so this, this incarceration was solely based on ethnicity. Uh, and fear. of various kinds and lack of trust uh, and a vast majority of those 120,000 people were Buddhist. Uh, just to think about that for a moment, this, the Japanese internment was not something that was taught to me in history class. I learned it as an adult, um, maybe the same with you or maybe it's more known now, but uh, Duncan Ryokan Williams, who's a professor and, and a Zen priest who's spoken here, wrote a book called American Sutra, which studies what happened in depth with uh, stories and uh, accounts. And in his book, right at the beginning in the prologue, it starts out with a poem written by the Zen teacher, Nyogen Senzaki. Nyogen Senzaki was, had been living in Los Angeles, teaching, uh, he's a, a kind of an unusual teacher. He didn't have any successors. He wasn't Dharma transmitted and didn't 
uh, pass on to a successor, but he taught and and he was uh, gathered up in this uh, roundup. And, and this is uh, the poem that he wrote called Parting. It was written May 7th, 1942. Thus have I heard, just to stop for a moment, as you may know, that's the beginning of the traditional beginning of sutras, all the sutras from whatever uh, school. If they're a sutra, they start off, thus have I heard, which is the Buddhist Jisha Ananda, who was at every talk and, and learned them by heart, recite, he recited for others later after the Buddha died. So they, they all start out, thus have I heard. So that's Nyogen Senzaki's poem starts out, thus have I heard. The army ordered all Japanese faces to be evacuated from the city of Los Angeles. This homeless monk has nothing but a Japanese face. He stayed here 13 springs, meditating with all faces from all parts of the world and studied the teaching of Buddha with them. Wherever he goes, he may form other groups, inviting friends of all faces beckoning them with the empty hands of Zen. He lived, by the way, um, 1876 to 1958, Yogan Senzaki, and he was uh, born in Siberia. This is just a part of his biography uh, and was found as a baby or a little toddler baby next to his mother who was had frozen to death and a Japanese monk found him and he was trained as a as a Japanese monk. So that uh, part of our history, history of um, ignorance, delusion, fear, uh, cruelty, brutality, I would say. He, Nogan Senzaki, before they built the concentration camps, was taken with thousands, like 18,002. Places where horse race, Santa Ana, I think, and they lived in stalls, etc. So I don't want to dwell on the cruelty and what people went through, but I didn't want to not bring it up. And this flows into this teaching of the Lotus Sutra that I want to bring up. That is, as I said at the beginning not an easy teaching and very strict in a certain way. Uh, before I 
go to that. I just want to read what's on Yoga and Senzaki's tombstone. Friends in Dharma, be satisfied with your own heads. Do not put on any false heads above your own. Then minute after minute, watch your steps closely. Always keep your head cold and your feet warm. These are my last words to you. That's a Zazen instruction. Head cold, feet warm. So the, the teaching that's hard, I think, and wonderful from the Lotus Sutra is that there is just one path, universal path that we are all on together. Nobody is excluded. Nobody is like, there isn't any beyond the pale or some place where no, you don't get to be. And I, it's, this is a difficult teaching because immediately you can bring up, but wait a minute, what about all this cruelty and brutality and, you know, the perpetuating of war and genocide and racial, uh, oppression, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How can you, how can you say that? How can the Lotus Sutra say that? Recently, someone was telling me how terrible they think they are, and how terrible their zazen is, and also they confess they don't even want to sit zazen anymore. They don't like it. They can't imagine sitting as a sheen or one day sitting and and they feel horrible, you know, because, you know, it's somebody who's been practicing for a while. And as we say in the Fukan Zazengi, you know, the um, in general, this world and other worlds, both in India and China, equally hold the Buddha seal, which is overall pervades the character of this school, which is total devotion to a movable sitting, you know. So this person knows this, knows this well, has chanted this thousands of times. And then to feel like I can't sit and I don't want to sit. And and then the how the conflict of that is just kind of tearing them to shreds almost, you know. So this was, you know, it was not an easy conversation. Um, there, there's no easy fix like, well, have you tried yada, yada, like trying to fix it, you know, or this person has practiced long enough and this is what it's come to uh, for all, who knows all the causes and conditions. I think there's physical things, there's mental, emotional things, there's, 
And sometimes zazen, sitting cross-legged zazen, that kind of zazen is counterindicated for certain kind of depressive states or certain kind of difficulties. One becomes re-traumatized sometimes. So it, it, it's even zazen, we can't say, oh, zazen you know, some universal panacea, even though there's universal instructions for it, it may, might, may not be the time for someone to sit or to continue sitting, and they have to know this. However, whether you sit zazen or not, whether you get up to sit and your partner or friend doesn't, does that is not what's important here, or what we should be focusing on in terms of measurement or quality of person's life or, or whether they're, you know, in the one vehicle or on the one path. Everyone is on the one path. This is the Lotus Sutra. And you can't get off it either. So this, um, for us to look at that teaching, to study that and see and notice whether either the judgments are about ourselves or other beings, we are, you know, measuring and who's right and who's wrong. And it's, it's such a big, vast, covers everything teaching, uh, which is, I think, why the Lotus Sutra is so revered, really, because it is all inclusive. No one is left out. And in the Lotus Sutra, I think by way of illustrating this, there's the chapter which was added a little later in the creating of the Lotus Sutra over a number of hundreds of years. Um, there's a chapter about Devadatta. Devadatta was the Buddha's cousin. And they, which happens sometimes with family members, there was um, some, I think on Devadatta's part, some envy and some jealousy of the Buddha and some ill will. There was a harboring of ill will to such an extent that Devadatta planned to try and kill the Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha, his own cousin. It's like, how, how bad can it get, right? You know, and he sent a wild elephant who had been, I think, you know, frothed up and angered, send it to go and trample the Buddha who was walking. And the Buddha calmed the elephant. And he also, Devadatta, uh, told untruths about the Buddha and tried to split the Sangha uh, and, and have factions come with him and, you know, creating great disharmony and uh, unrest among the Sangha members, et cetera, et cetera. So one would think, well, Devadatta, you know, 
tried to kill the Buddha, actually, and he also drew blood one time of the Buddha, you know, from the Buddha. I don't know what he did. I can't remember. But in the Lotus Sutra, it turns out, and this is, this is a very turning point for people, that uh, the Buddha talks about Devadatta, thanks Devadatta, is grateful to Devadatta because eons before, in another lifetime, you know, the Lotus Sutra has many stories about past events and past Buddhas who then became, you know, the disciples of the day. Anyway, uh, Devadatta was a teacher for the Bodhisattva who became Shakyamuni Buddha and was really helped him, really taught him well. And the Buddha hearkens back to that and thanks him and is grateful. So even someone who has, is so filled with anger and you know, disharmony in terms of the Buddha's life, these stories, these are teaching stories, uh, is on the same path as the Buddha, walks the same path. There's a story about one of our um, acharyas, one of the women ancestors, Utpalavarna, and she tells a story about it's Dogen um, Zenji in two different fascicles brings up the story, maybe more, about when she was an entertainer, like a courtesan or an entertainer in past lives. And for a joke, she put on nun's clothing and okesa, this outer robe that uh, is received upon ordination. She put that on and was dancing around, making jokes and fooling around, right? And one could say, well, how disrespectful is that, you know? However, in her story, that fooling around and, and putting on robes was this tiny moment in her life that turned everything. And eventually she was in the next life. You know, these are teaching stories about karma, et cetera. Um, she became ordained and so she's uh, acknowledging this and saying to people, receive the precepts. And they say, but I can't follow them. And if I can't follow them, I'm gonna go into, you know, states of woe, you know. And she said, don't worry about it. Just take them. Don't worry about falling into states of, of woe or not observing them. Just take the precepts. This, this karmic event of receiving Buddha's precepts is powerful enough to eventually. And I, when I read that, it's like, we're all on the same path, the same path and in different places on the path, right? And working out our own causes and conditions for our, our liberation. And each person is unique and unrepeatable and it will look different. So we are not in any position to judge anybody else 
or to even know. Just bowing to each person as, as Buddha, each thing as Buddha Dharma. So last January intensive, uh, that Tension Roshi led was on the Lotus Sutra. And there's a chapter seven of the Lotus Sutra has a couple of things in it. One is the parable of the magical city. The other is this long and involved story about this Buddha whose name translates as um, penetrating wisdom, great penetrating wisdom, excellent Tathagata. That's one translation. Um, who we chant, he, he, uh, he or she shows up in our uh, jewel mirror samadhi. When about, to the, when about to fulfill the way of Buddhahood, one gazed at a tree for 10 eons. You know that line? Some of you, we've chanted that now a number of times. When about to fulfill the way of Buddhahood, one gazed at a tree for 10 eons. That's this particular Buddha from the Lotus Sutra. So this Buddha, when I say an elaborate story, it's like sometimes in the Lotus Sutra, it's like you, you can't follow like, he's got 16 sons and they all are practicing and then they become, anyway, and he's a king. And then anyway, he's sitting, he sits on the Bodhi seat, the Bodhi Manda, which is the name, the seat of enlightenment, which translates by the way into uh, in Japanese, dojo, which was used for uh, Zendo, but has become, you know, it's secularized for Aikido, Kendo uh, studios and so forth, they're called dojos. But as we know, like in Aikido, when you enter, you bow and it's a, that place of practice and training. It's not just like a gym, heading off to the gym, you step in and, bow and thank uh, the teacher in a certain way and also anyway bodhimanda is dojo seat of enlightenment and we take our seat like the buddha did under the bodhi tree to sit so this is our bodhimanda wherever you sit is your bodhimanda your bodhi seat your seat of enlightenment so this um he sat for 10 eons gazing at the Bodhi tree and flowers fell and all people came. But however, he gazed at a tree for 10 eons and the Buddha Dharma did not appear to him. So this, this part of the Lotus Sutra of chapter seven is taken out and becomes a koan, uh, case nine in the um, gateless gate the Muban Khan uh, collection of koans. So Tenjin Roshi was teaching the Lotus Sutra last year. And this came up about this um, Buddha who sat under a tree, gazing at a tree for 10 eons. We're talking kalpas here, eons. And, you know, there's minor and major kalpas, but and we just chanted about kalpas, right? 100,000 million kalpas, the Dharma doesn't appear. And 
rare, how rare it is. A kalpa, for those of you who may want to know, there's different measurements, but one is that there's a mountain, an iron mountain, a mile high and a mile wide, iron, and a bird with a little piece of silk in its beak flies by every hundred years and drags the silk across the top of the mountain. And by the time that mountain wears down, that's one kalpa. This is these wonderful measurements. This is kind of uh, coming out of India uh, in the sutras, these kalpas. So he sat for 10 eons. And in, so I'm going to read the koan to you, or just say it. A student of the way, this is a student asking his teacher. The name of the teacher was Qingyang, Qingyang, Qing, you're wrong. So the student asks his teacher, the Buddha excellent, every time I put my head down, it gets very, I'm gonna lift this up. The Buddha excellent and great penetrating wisdom practiced meditation on the seat of awakening for 10 kalpas. Nonetheless, he did not experience great awakening. Why? With the student asked with a full heart, why, why not? And this is the question I asked Tenshinoshi. It's like, here's this wonderful teacher named, you know, Buddha excellent in great penetrating wisdom, sitting on the Bodhi seat for 10 eons and the Buddha Dharma did not appear. Don't you find that unusual? And flowers are falling and everything, people are coming paying homage. The Buddha Dharma did not appear in it. And I asked, grab that and he said oh that's this this koan so i've been thinking about this for a year how come this wonderful practitioner practicing this how come the buddha did not appear so this teacher says uh there's a couple translations one is your question is exactly to the point Another translation is, your question touches the intimate matter. And another was, what a splendid question. So the question was basically, why didn't the Buddha Dharma appear to this, this practitioner? And the, and the teacher says, that's, that's exactly to the point. Splendid question. And the students didn't get it, but, but he, and he's, he or she said, right, again, but he, he sat there for 10 kalpas. Why didn't he attain Buddhahood? And the teacher said, because he is a non-attained Buddha. Because he is a non-attained Buddha. So this is a koan, right? So, uh, I've been turning it for a year myself. And uh, 
what I, um, so I'll just share with you some of my thoughts, you know, my commentary, you know, we read these cases and there's commentary, different people have comments to make, you know, and anybody can do commentary. You don't have to be a big scholar. You're just, what are, you, what are your comments about this? What, what does it activate for you? What kind of thoughts or questions do you have? So I, I was thinking for this past year, how come the Buddha gazed at a tree for 10 eons, this Buddha, Eikon uh, Roshi uh, translates this Buddha's name as supremely pervading, surpassing wisdom Buddha. So this is a wonderful names. How come the Buddha Dharma did not appear to him? How come he didn't attain Buddhahood? And this, this response, because this Buddha is a non-attained Buddha. So for me, in turning this and in turning the teaching, our, our teaching, this is also a very strict teaching that our practice and attainment or practice and realization is one thing we're not practicing in order to become Buddhas. And if we keep on practicing hard, then that is not, uh, the Lotus Sutra says already everyone is in the great vehicle on the same path is, is a Buddha to be is that very being right now is awakened nature already. So the Dharma didn't manifest or, and, and with this person who's saying, I'm a terrible sitter and I don't wanna sit. And, and that means I'm, I'm left out, you know, I remember once after 10 years, this is a story about me, of the involuntary movement in Zazen, shaking and swaying and all sorts of physical difficulties. I remember saying to the abbot at the time, Zentatsu Baker, just put me out to pasture. Just send me away, you know. I, I can't do the practice, which is total engagement in immovable sitting. It was like, I'm, I'm outside. That way of thinking, we may think, I'm outside, I don't belong. I'm a terrible person. And we may have self-loathing and not be able to accept ourselves and feel like we're outside of the community of practitioners, of the community of humans. And we should just be sent out away. This kind of thinking, this is delusive thinking. This is like gathering up 120,000 people and putting them somewhere 
you know, out of total ignorance and misunderstanding of our shared life. that we are ignorant of, you know. So our nature and the way, and the nature of all things, this is the Buddha mind seal, is awakened nature. And it includes ordinary, and you know, it says in that same, or one of our chants, you know, because there is the ordinary, there's jeweled pedestals and fine clothing. Because there's the startlingly different, there's house cat and cow. Those are all, you can't pull those apart. You can only say, oh yeah, that old cow or that old house cat that I know so well, because of startlingly different things. That's all one thing. And our ordinary mind is the way. And our struggles, these struggles and self-denigration and depression and all of our challenges, you know, that's not outside the way. Somehow like, oh, those are over here. And then once those are taken care of, then I can enter and be on the path with all these wonderful people that I want to uh, practice with. That's, we may think that way. I think I thought that way. You know, send me out to pastor. I don't belong. I'm not, um, I can't do it, what other people do. And that makes me a horrible person, you know. We, we do think this way, I, I think, I know I do. So the, the Buddha Dharma is not like that, which when I say it's very strict, it's like right under your feet right now, however you're manifesting and however you're appearing in this world with all the difficulties and all the, what we call faults and, you know, the word fault in earthquakes, you know, at the fault line is where things move, right? where the plates of the earth move. Those faults, so-called faults, is where we learn, where we understand uh, through that, not bypassing that, you know, spiritual bypassing, suppressing it, pretending, um, making up stories, and having a kind of false self to the world. We, we, we accept completely. And it just so happens that uh, we can't, uh, the non-attained Buddha, this, this Buddha in the Lotus and the Buddha in this case nine called the non-attainment Buddha, why he or she can't become Buddha Buddhahood doesn't manifest because already it's already manifesting. They are already awakened. You can't put a head on top of a head like Yoga and Sanzaki says. 
you can't add to what's already there. It's like, oh, it doesn't make sense. So it didn't appear because already he was manifesting fully, completely. So I think I think the only thing I, I wanted to include in today's talk was that in the liturgical year, uh, February 14th and 15th or 15th, 16th, right, right there, 14th, 15th, is when we commemorate the um, Buddha's Parinirvana, meaning the death when the Buddha uh, died. And it's what we'll be doing a ceremony. We actually decided to do it next week um, when we didn't do it on the exact day. I think we're, we're choosing a day that um, will work better for our schedule. So in the traditional old wisdom school, the Buddha died and uh, went to Parinirvana, it's called, you know, and gave teachings, you know, Nyogen Senzaki on his tombstone said, this is my last teaching, keep your head cool and your feet warm. You know, these are my last words. So the Buddhist last words uh, were basically not saying, you know, I'm not going to be here anymore, so you're going to be bereft of any teaching or dharma. Instead, and, and this is, I, the Buddha brought up impermanence, and also, uh, and, and we'll, in the ceremony, that will be repeated. We'll, we'll read uh, the Buddha's last words. But basically, uh, the Dharma is, the Dharma will be there, whether I'm there or not, for all of you. This, the Buddha Dharma. And some of you may think we, we've lost our teacher and there's grief and grief is part of it. We do feel grief when we lose our loved ones. That's part of our practice life. It's, it's okay. However, the Dharma has been, has been given. And this Dharma says, that you too, your nature itself is Buddha nature, awakened nature. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. There's much more to say about Buddha's Parinirvana. Uh, maybe we'll be talking about it this, um, come this week to prepare for the ceremony. I think the more we know about the ceremonies, when we um, enact them, there's meaning. Uh, and it may be surprising how touched we might be 
by certain ceremonies if we know a little bit more. Sometimes, even if we don't know, of course, we're touched. Um, so maybe we'll do that this week for the practice period here. Okay, well, we'll be um, chanting the uh, dedication, which comes, by the way, in this chapter seven of the Lotus Sutra about this Buddha and uh, this particular, may our intention equally, that, that's from the Lotus Sutra in that chapter. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered at no cost, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.